Listen on as I read now Leviticus chapter 15. Leviticus chapter 15. And hear the word of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when a man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is his uncleanness. Every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he who has the discharge shall uh, sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is unclean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening and saddle on uh, any saddle on uh, which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has the discharge uh, touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he who has the discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water. Then he shall be clean. On the eighth day, he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. Then the priest shall offer them. The one is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. If any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, there shall, uh, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all, so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days. And every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. 
He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days. And after that, she shall be clean. And on the eighth day, she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for the one who has a discharge. And for him who emits semen and is unclean thereby, and for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity, and for one who has a discharge, either man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. Let us pray together. Our, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Every, every word of it is precious to us. And uh, though we do not live any longer under the old covenant dispensation, we still find more than enough there uh, to encourage and to strengthen and to challenge us, Lord. Let, let this word now come to us with fresh power through the preaching we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue to proceed through this material concerning personal purity, uh, I would call it, or laws of, of clean and unclean, one of the questions is how to divide it. Chapters 11 through 15 are the chapters uh, in which we find this material. And you'll notice I'm not following the precise order. Having dealt with the food laws in chapter 11, everything that uh, follows has to do with the body itself, which is an interesting parallel to the morning sermon, is it not? Chapters 12 and 15 have a certain affinity and similarity as they both deal with issues of bodily discharge. You might have noticed that. In other words, that which comes out of the body from within, it isn't pleasant, I confess. And you don't have to worry, I'm not going to be talking about uh, much of that at all this evening. Uh, It it isn't meant to be, though. If you say, you know, that's gross, that's not something I like to think about. Well, you're already on the way to getting the point. There is a kind of disgust we have Uh, toward this kind of thing that is natural and that God was indicating we should always feel about ourselves and our sin. Chapters 12 and 15. But chapters 13 and 14 are in between and they uh, obviously go together as well because they deal with the, the leper, chapter 13, and the process by which he is cleansed, chapter 14. Those two go together on their own. They also deal with the body and disease in particular. The first thing I want to note then, taking chapters 12 and 15 together, is the obvious similarity between these two chapters. Both deal with uncleanness that comes from within. Underline that in your mind. That's the key thought. The uncleanness that comes from within. The defilement that comes from within a man, not from without. Chapter 11 dealt with that which was uh, unclean going in from without. The unclean foods. Various foods which the Lord prohibited the Israelite to eat. That is, to allow to go into their stomachs and therefore defile them. Do you remember what Jesus said about that? Uh, Chapter 7, verse 15 of Mark's Gospel. He says, there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, these are the things that defile a man. That's a key statement. And in chapters 12 and 15... That's what we find. 
what Jesus seizes upon, the defilement that comes from within. There are things like this, the issue of a child, the issue of blood and of various fluids from the body. The uncleanness that comes from within signaling that the true source of defilement comes from the man himself. Of course, it was possible under the old covenant that certain external sources would make one unclean. But here, in chapters 12 and 15, and by what Jesus later says in chapter 7 of Mark's gospel, God signals to man that the true source of defilement and impurity is himself. It is his own sinful body, the body of sin. And it is in keeping with the teaching of Jesus himself, as he says, not only in verse 15, but as he goes on to say in verses 18 and following, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within out of the heart of men. Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And so chapters 12 and 15 of Leviticus introduce a new category. And it should be obvious based upon what our Lord says in Mark chapter 7 that it is in fact the primary category. The, 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 the category of foods was secondary, the categories of inward defilement was primary. When we think of the sources of uncleanness and defilement, we ought to think primarily in terms of our own selves. The world of pollution and defilement and sin we carry about us in our breasts, deep within ourselves, and which flow out of us Almost constantly and unconsciously, the steady stream of sin which issues forth from the sinner at all times. That's what God was picturing in those two admittedly very unpleasant chapters. Yes, Jesus says it's what comes out of a man. That is what really defiles him. It is the sin that he's naturally inclined to and that he cherishes and stores up in his heart. The sin that he devises within that he intends to commit and that he does commit. As these things stream forth from his heart into his life, that is really what defiles him and renders him unclean in the sight of God. And so, as always, we have a type which is fitted to illustrate an important spiritual truth. And the spiritually minded Israelite, like Moses, would have no trouble grasping it for himself. He would look out of him, outside of himself and find many sources of defilement. And he would be tempted to think by this of impurity as that which was outside of himself, something external. But here, in chapters 12 and 15, the law was given to curb this tendency, to throw him back on himself and to accuse himself as the real source of impurity and moral defilement and ritual uncleanness. He might be able, uh, if you think of it, to get away from the insect or the bird or the fish for a time. But he could never get away from himself. He could never get out of himself. Often he would, like Paul, Again, the saints under the Old Covenant. 
Often they would be forced to cry, a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? As the body itself was a continual and constant reminder that he was unclean. Oh, but in this, the lesson was learned. A spiritual truth for spiritual people. Look at this mother. She's given birth to a child. Was this not something good? Yes, it was. It's a beautiful thing for a mother to give birth to a child. And yet, the pronouncement was made upon her unclean. Or look at this man. Uh, He was intimate with his wife. Well, that's his duty, isn't it? He'd be sinning if he didn't do it. Unclean. Or the woman during her period. Well, you get the idea. Could these things be avoided? No, they couldn't. In fact, many of these things were either natural or else commanded. You'd be sinning if you didn't do them. Or else, in many cases, purely accidental. You touched the person, but you didn't mean to. Or perhaps you didn't even know. It doesn't matter. Unclean. The sense we get was that it was unavoidable and often very sudden for both men and women alike. And even if either could achieve a state of becoming clean, it was not something they could keep. There was always some way or other, some annoyance or perhaps some duty performed or some natural process that would render them unclean once more. What was the point of this? Well, it seems the point was to trouble them constantly, to annoy them, if you will, to never let them think it was easy, that you could just observe a few rituals and rules and be rid of the problem. No, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, that Israel was kept, uh, (coughs) excuse me, Israel was kept under guard for a time. She was kept, in essence, in a prison. That's what the law was. There they were kept and troubled by the law until the time of faith should come. For that period, the period under the law, God made their existence cumbersome. He troubled them. He annoyed them. He wanted to teach them daily the awful lessons of sin. How difficult it is to atone for. How difficult it is to make a man defiled by sin clean. When he's not only a sinner, but he lives in a world of sin. And he's conceived of sin. The thing isn't easy, but hard. In fact, it's the hardest thing in the world. Don't look at the tabernacle and the priesthood and think, oh, how easy it all is suddenly. No, for even then we notice now that the priesthood had begun and the sacrifices had begun, defilement clung to their flesh still. And defilement daily flowed from their bodies. The thought once more was not how easy, but how hard, indeed impossible. When, when might we be clean, really clean, in such a way that we were washed and cleansed and made whole in the sight of God? Such was the cry of the old covenant saint. In this, the weakness of the old covenant appeared. For there really was, if you understand uh, the essence of these laws, there really was no way to be made clean. Here is a man made clean one day, the next he's unclean. Constantly subject to this process of being made clean, only to be defiled again, and then made clean once again, only to be defiled once more. And over and over he went. And would this not make him cry out, when will better days come? And would his heart not be ravished 
by the preaching of those prophets that better days indeed were promised to come by Moses uh, and the other prophets who followed. What was at stake in all of this, you remember, was one's place in the tabernacle. God says that at the end of chapter 15 in verse 31. Thus you shall separate children, the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. God was preserving his own purity among them. Not only is it made plain in chapter 15, it's also implied in chapter 12. The woman was not entitled to enter the tabernacle until atonement had been made for her uncleanness. And so once more, we get the sense that she was kept out. What was at stake was her place in the tabernacle, in the courts of the Lord, where the altar was. And what these laws tell us is this. That this is the way for man to have a place in the courts of the Lord. That God would be worshipped and praised by people who are clean. And men and women were invited to come in the way of holiness. But do you see at the same time that these laws were also constantly excluding them? Not only inviting, but excluding. Constantly telling uh, this man or that woman to stay away. That he or she had no place in those courts. Courts, placing him, as it were, in the position of the sons of Korah in Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2. It's a pilgrim psalm, but here's someone who's standing just outside and yet told, you may not come in. And there the faithful would say, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Well, there is a picture in Psalm 84 of someone who's far away and can't get there and longs to be there. How lovely are your courts. How great is my desire to be there. But here we see in Leviticus chapters 12 and 15, someone who's standing right there and yet who is forbidden to enter. God had declared him unclean by that which in many cases was unavoidable and even accidental and certainly natural. And so he was. The Old Testament Jew kept under guard in the prison, the prison house of the law. He was annoyed and troubled by this law. And he was caused thereby to long for something better. And thus God worked hope in the hearts of believers under the old covenant for a new and better covenant. But having said that, I want to make a few observations about the laws in particular. Beginning with what we have in chapter 12, look at the woman, the mother, how she is singled out time and again under the old covenant. The law places her at a disadvantage, the woman. This is less apparent in chapter 15. There it's the man and the woman. But in chapter 12, the woman is singled out. If she bears a boy, she's unclean 40 days. If a girl, 80. She's made unclean in her childbirth, but doubly so if she bears a girl. May I suggest that the old covenant somewhat intentionally placed the woman at a disadvantage. As though to highlight the dilemma of sin itself. For she was the first to transgress the law. And God had promised to curse her specifically in the bearing of children. 
thus keeping the fall of man ever before Israel. At least that's one explanation. Although I'll, I'll confess to you, I'm not entirely sure. And I'm not sure the commentators are sure either. Why did God single out the woman? But one thing that I am sure of is that this was part of the weakness of the old administration, the old covenant. This was part of the bondage that the Israelites were under. It is a weakness that Paul later indicates has been remedied in the new covenant. For he tells us that there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. Now, why would he say that? Well, that makes sense if you understand your Old Testament, that the woman was placed by God at a disadvantage and that she often was kept out of the tabernacle for a longer time uh, than the man. And she had no right to the sign of the covenant, namely circumcision. And when Paul says there's neither male nor female, he isn't saying that the natural difference between the two is no meaning or no bearing under the new covenant. How could you ever read Paul and think that? But what he is saying is that the woman now has the same access to God as the man. And that is part of the strength and part of the glory of the new covenant. She now enjoys, along with the man, the blessing of baptism. And she's not held back from the presence of God any more than the man. In fact, both of them together have free and constant access to God. I say again, that is the strength and the glory of the new covenant. But so often it appears against the backdrop and the contrast of the old. But there's another truth here. And I'm especially interested once again in chapter 12. The other reason she's unclean. And singled out is because she's born a sinner. You see, it isn't just the issue and the flow of blood from her body. But it's the fact that a little sinner has come out of her and entered the world and thus rendered her. And the land, you might say, unclean. The boy, if it was a boy, might be made clean through circumcision. But what of the girl? Well, again, I have no answer. I'm not sure. There again, we notice the disadvantage of the woman under the old covenant. But do you see how this whole transaction in Leviticus chapter 12 underscores the sinfulness and the defilement in which we are conceived as David laments and bemoans in Psalm 51? And that God is indicating in essence that as he sets up his abode among men, That the birth of every child yields yet another sinner into this world. Oh, happy day, a child is born. Well, perhaps not, God says. For if God does not intervene, how much harm the child might do. And we have in all of this a fitting picture, a striking picture, of the doctrine of original sin. The way we are born in sin, the way we bring sin into this world. The way we wreak havoc by our lives. Because we are sinners. And the reality is that our entrance into this world as sinners is something that pollutes and defiles the world. And certainly God is saying this as well. That we have no right to enter his courts just by virtue of our place in this world. Just by virtue of the fact that we have been born. But that if we would enter his courts... And be reconciled to him. We must be made clean. The next thing I would notice. Common to both chapters 12 and 15. 
that is the process of being made clean include uh, include some variation of these three things. Washing with water, waiting a prescribed amount of time, and then atonement at the door. Meeting the priest there, uh, present your offering, your, your burnt offering, your sin offering, seek reconciliation and cleansing by this means, and then at last you'll be pronounced clean. Which meant you might enter again the tabernacle, the courts of the tabernacle. And do you notice that in both chapters, this is actually called atonement, even though no sin has been committed. But the whole thing was meant to impress uh, them and us with this thought. And that is, I'm not only sinning every day, but I live in a world of sin, which means a world full of the effects of sin. I can't get out of this world. I can't help but be confronted all the time with the effects and the curse of sin. I'm being polluted by it all the time, even at such times when I am not sinning. Oh, but even then, for that I need to be cleansed. I need atonement. For what is at stake once more is the sinner's relationship to God himself. It is my place in his courts, in his presence. And sin in all of its forms and all of its effects must be dealt with. Otherwise, I have no place there. But lastly, under this heading, I would notice the mother at the end of this whole episode. God has declared her to be clean. And what comes next? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but it is implied. We envision her now at home with her child, proceeding together with the child in the ways of holiness. That's what God has indicated to them both. He's declared both of them clean for, for a purpose, for a reason. You see, there's another way to look at this, and that is the interest that God takes in the mother and her child. He wants her to be clean. He wants the child to be clean. He wants them to walk together in the ways of purity and holiness. Why? Because the mother will become the primary relation in this early child's life. One thinks of young Machen learning the Bible on his mother's lap. And we can wonder whether he ever would have been the mighty servant of God if not for his mother or, or Augustine. The Lord was indicating here the centrality of the mother in her relationship to the child. And how the ways of holiness are secured and promoted on a mother's lap. Did you ever think of that? That is what God secured by all this. He was establishing true religion in Israel, which began... Well, it began in the course of the Lord, let's admit, but it proceeded into the home. But then look at how all this changes under the new covenant in ways I've already indicated. How obvious it becomes that the new covenant is better than the old in light of these regulations that were there to trouble them ceaselessly. Thank God uh, they're troubling us no more. They troubled Israel. You might say they troubled Christ, but they trouble us no more. And how the uncertainty no longer lingers now that the reality has come. We don't need to be standing in a constant state of uncertainty. Am I clean? Am I not clean? Uh, what comes next? It's settled for the believer. You've been washed. You've been cleansed by the washing of regeneration. That is the sure promise of the new covenant. But the way that I would wish to stress this point is by pointing to an incident in the Gospels. This time Mark chapter 5. 
Uh, and, and again, I just note how useful our knowledge of the Old Testament is in, in understanding what we read in the New Testaments. For there we find something uh, that is stressed in chapter 15, the unnatural discharge of blood. There's a distinction made in the women, the natural discharge, but then there is the case of the unnatural discharge of blood, that is the disease But do you realize that we find such a woman in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 25. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. Here is a woman who was unclean. Here was a woman who had no place in the life of Israel, in the courts of the Lord. She was excluded. She had done all that she could, but nothing ever got better, only worse. But read or listen to what is said in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she heard of Jesus and that made all the difference. This poor soul under bondage, under the old covenant, there was nothing there for her. She couldn't get rid of her burden. But hearing of Jesus, she had an idea and it was a daring one. If only I might touch the hem of his garment. What a scandal, for she was forbidden to touch anyone, lest she defile them. And yet faith compelled her, as it always does, into the very presence of Jesus Christ himself. Hearing of Jesus, she went to him. What a picture of faith that is. And so with that single touch, she was made well, as Jesus himself declares at the end. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your your affliction. Here the Lord had done something for her. We're going to see this next week as well with the leper. The Lord does something for her that the old covenant never could do. And I ask you, is that not what Jesus always does? Is he not the healer of all that makes us unclean? And which could not be made clean by the laws and regulations of the old covenant? You see, in a sense, all under the old covenant were really in the position of this woman. They were perhaps made clean for a time, only to be made unclean again. But once Jesus had come, here was this amazing possibility of being made clean, truly, to enjoy true peace, simply by believing. Go in peace, he says. Your faith has made you well. This is the realization we must all have. Seeing ourselves like this woman, one who is unclean, having dark and evil hearts out of which issue a constant flow of sin and perversity. Try as we might, we cannot make ourselves clean. We cannot heal ourselves, nor nor can the physicians or the teachers of religion. We can't find it in the law of Moses. In all of our efforts, we will only make ourselves worse. There's only one who can make us clean, and his name is Jesus. Have you heard of him like this woman? Has the thought occurred to you? He can make me clean. If only I but go to him in faith, I shall be made well. I will be made clean. He can do it. I believe that he can. And if you heard him say to you, dear child, I have healed you. You are made whole. Go in peace. You see, the whole purpose And the effect of all this was to make this moment possible. 
God was troubling the Jews under the old covenant. But he was making room for faith. He was making room for Christ, who is the object of faith. Jesus comes into this world as a physician to heal those who are sick in a spiritual sense. And all who believe in him are made well. Do you know it? Is that your experience? Is your experience that of this woman? Oh, you might tremble when you think of him and his great power, his majesty, as this woman did. But one thing you know, he can do it. And what you are delighted to discover, having believed in him, is that it is his good pleasure to save you. For this is why he came into the world. And his plea unto the sinner is ever, come unto me. Yes, you are defiled. Yes, you are unclean. Come unto me. And will you come? And have you come? And have you heard him say unto your soul, go in peace. I have made you whole. Amen. And let us uh, return now our praise to God uh, by standing and singing together Psalm 51 as it is found uh, in the Blue Trinity Hymnal number 415. We will sing this a cappella.